Well, we're in week two of our new series, Workout, and our theme scripture quickly is Philippians 2.12b. Continue. Everybody say continue. That means exactly what it says. We, we, this is not a one-time thing. You can't do it just one time and it worked. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, continue to work out your salvation so that you can begin to walk in God's purpose for your life. The NLT we discovered last week says, work hard to show the results, to show the evidence, to show the fruit of your salvation. Work hard to show that you've actually been saved. Come on. Ooh, that got quiet. Work hard to show the results of your relationship with Jesus. Last week we found out, we talked about New Year's resolutions and all that, and you know, we, the video that kind of goes along with that. We found out that keeping New Year's resolutions and keeping New Year's goals and all of that are, are extremely difficult to do. But without a plan, they're impossible. Same with our spiritual workout goals. Listen, without a plan, without being intentional, it's not going to happen. Today we're going to talk about working out our faith. Working out our faith. I think one of the hardest things about living the Christian life is the fact that we serve a God who is invisible. Come on, we can't see him. It isn't easy to live your life dedicated to someone you can't physically see. We, even if you're not familiar, uh, you know, you haven't been in church for very long, you probably know the story about the disciple Thomas. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to quite a few different people, but Thomas wasn't among them at first. And they kept telling him, Thomas, he's alive. What did Thomas say? Until I touch until I feel the physical wounds and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And we're quick to jump on Thomas and to judge Thomas, but we do the same thing. Oh, everything is great. Our faith is great. Our relationship with God is great until something bad happens. Everything is fine until the storm begins to blow. When things begin to fall apart, then we are also looking for something to touch, aren't we? We're looking for something to grab. We're looking for something to feel, just like Thomas. Part of working out our salvation is working out our Faith. Look at the board. Write this down. We work out our faith by applying the truths and the promises found in the word of God. Be careful there. It's not just about reading the Bible. It's not just about knowledge. There's a whole lot of theologians out there that could uh, talk me under the table. I mean, about, about religion and about theology and about church history and all of those things that I've studied, but they're experts, but they no more have a relationship with Jesus Christ and then, than a hole in the ground or a, a it, they don't know Christ. 
They know a lot, but they don't apply the truth. The key here is knowing it and applying it. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Greek there is actually closer for the word hearing. It actually could be read this way. So then faith comes by doing and by doing the word of God. Without the word, listen, without the word of God to guide our faith, to inform our faith, we will be left floundering when the trials of this life inevitably come. Without the word of God as a foundation to our faith, our Christianity will crumble around us. Without the word of God upholding our faith, we will have no answer, no answer. Just like that song said, we'll have no answer when these overwhelming seasons in life come upon us, these crises These bad seasons in life where all we can think in our mind and all we can say and verbalize is why, God? Why? These moments of crisis are not new. They don't take God by surprise. You need to know that. God is not up wringing his hands. People have been asking God the question why for thousands of years from the beginning. The Bible is full of people asking God the question why. This question has been causing people to stumble in their faith for centuries. I want you to pay attention today. This issue has been cited as one of the main reasons that millions of people don't come to Christ to begin with. They cannot reconcile how a God who was supposed supposed to be good and loving could allow evil, could allow bad things to happen to good people. My first cousin, several years back, my first cousin Jeffrey, 50 years old, family man, good man, worked in the church, volunteered in church, paid his tithes, all of those things, died of cancer. Two teenage boys, Evan and Jared. Evan, the oldest one, he was probably 20, 21 at the time. He was able to navigate his faith and navigate through that difficult time of losing his dad. The younger boy, Jared, was not. And to this day, because of this, He almost takes on an atheistic view of life. And if we would be honest this morning, and that is the rule today, we all struggle with these questions, don't we? This is part of what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and tr- it's serious, it's a big deal. When I see something horrible on the news, like we did a few months back in Paris, where hundreds are killed, or the refugee crisis, or any number of things, come on, that we, you turn on CNN or Fox News and, and watch that's going on, not 10 years ago, not 50 years ago, right 
now, as we are having this service this morning, these things are happening right now in our world. My prayer goes something like this. Dear Lord, I love you. I worship you. But I do not understand this. Why? Lord, why didn't you intervene in Paris? Why didn't you uncover that plot and save those people? Lord, why didn't you heal Jeffrey? Jeffrey went into all kinds of services and as the, the elders laid hands on him and pastors laid hands on him and he was prayed for multiple, multiple times and he died anyway. Can we be that honest this morning? Can we not sweep this under the rug? Can we be real? Thank you. One person. This is tough, isn't it? Work out is not easy. My prayer for this morning is that we can see some real breakthrough and healing begin by being honest with God, honest with ourselves about this faith struggle and by receiving the word of the living God and applying it. I say begin because it's a journey. This does not happen overnight. If somebody tells you that you can get over something overnight, you run for your life. Come on. When we've experienced terrible loss or pain or suffering, the turnaround is never instantaneous. Sometimes we need some help. C.S. Lewis said, and I don't have it on the board, it came later, this quote said, C.S. Lewis said, getting over a painful experience is much like crossing the monkey bars. Imagine that now, a little kid crossing the monkey bars. You must, you have to let go at some point in order to move forward. Think about it. If you can just see that kid grabbing the monkey bars, they're never going to go anywhere unless they let go here and that propels them to the next bar. It's a process. But sometimes I know when my, when my girls were little and they were on the monkey bars, I didn't just throw them up there. I kind of did one of these. Come on. Sometimes we need somebody like that. Sometimes we need to know there's somebody there to catch us. Sometimes we need to know God is there to catch us, to help us. That's what today's all about. Psalm 73, I'm going to have to move with this. I'm sorry we, we had a little extra in our service today. But Psalm 73, if you have your Bibles, is a perfect example of the raw emotion that comes from working out this faith struggle. This tension between trusting God, trusting God, and still wondering why. As we read through it, we're going to pull out the takeaways as we go. I love, this is, by the way, this is my favorite way to preach. Just going through the word of God, you know, just going through and just pulling out the, the nuggets right here. So Psalm 73, beginning with verse 1, I'm in the New Living Translation. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Sounds good. Verse 2, though, shifts. But as for me, this is Asaph speaking. He's a worship leader. He's a godly man. 
But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. In other words, I am struggling with this, God. I don't get this. I'm about to throw in the towel. I'm about to quit. Why are these evil people prospering better and more than me? Verse 4, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They aren't plagued with problems like everyone else. Now, time out. Is that really true? Did these godless people really have no problems, no health issues, a painless life? Of course not. But here's a point that we're going to take. It's on the board. Write it down. When we are in these seasons of despair and disillusionment, like Asaph, our perception of reality can be completely wrong. It's obvious to everyone around us except us. It's like we're stumbling around in the dark. When we're in these, this is important, when we're in these weak moments, listen, 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 we become more vulnerable to outside influence. When your faith is high, when you're you're on the mountain, nothing can touch you. When everything's going right, your relationship, you're like tight with God and everything's good. Nothing can touch you. Satan wouldn't even try, really. He's going to wait until you're in these moments. And then you're more vulnerable to the world and to him, to the enemy, because your faith is wavering. And there's doubt. And when your perception is off, you're stepping right into his trap. And soon you'll become offended at God. And that offense becomes a giant wall between you and the Father. That offense becomes a wall, just like with my little cousin, Jared, because of his dad's, that situation. Verse 6, they wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have, I love that. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? I love that. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut through the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused. Come on. Drinking in all their words. What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Now listen carefully, listen to the next two verses. and We're going to get to the heart of the problem with Asaph. Verse 13, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Woo, we hear, we're uncovering the rug and there's all kinds of stuff under there. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent For no reason. I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Have you ever talked to God like that? Some of you are like, no way. 
But have you ever thought it? Absolutely. Something like this. I go to church, God. I pay my tithes. I'm trying to do what you've asked me to do. I'm trying, I even, I, I even volunteer, I even work in the nursery. Should be a big crown for people who. <laughs> Is all of that meaningless, God? Why does this junk, this stuff happen, still happen to me? You know what this reminded me of as I studied it? The prodigal son. Not the prodigal, the older brother. The one who stayed. The one who was faithful. The one while when his little brother went off to squander the wealth and to live it up. He stayed, my God, I feel this. He stayed behind. He was faithful. He served his father. And then when little brother, everything runs out and he comes home, the dad throws him a giant party because he thinks he's dead. There's a big party going on. And what happens? That older brother who was faithful and who was loyal is absolutely beside himself. He's furious. And the father goes out. The father goes out of the party. He leaves the party. Please come in. And the older brother says, no. Why are you doing this, dad? Why are you celebrating the life of this worthless boy? I have been faithful. I stayed. And yet you've never done this for me. And the sad result of that is that older brother never goes into the celebration. Here's the takeaway. If we remain in this condition, it can lead to a self righteous attitude keeping us from God's blessing and purpose for our lives. Now listen, 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 listen. That's harsh. I'm not saying it's wrong to think these things. I'm not saying it's wrong to question. I'm not saying it's wrong to think these thoughts. God's a big God. He can handle it. The danger is staying there. The danger is hanging on to the monkey bars and not letting go at all, ever, because eventually what's going to happen, you're going to fall. That's exactly what Satan wants to happen. Listen to this. If the enemy can't have your soul, he wants to keep you from your purpose. You're saved. We're not talking about heaven and hell here, folks. You're saved. You've given your heart to Christ, but that's not the end of the story. We have to still live this life. And if Satan can't have your soul, he's going to try to take your purpose. I want somebody to put that on Facebook today. I want somebody to tweet that. I want somebody to get the word out about what the enemy's trying to do. And listen, we can't stand for that. The benefit of our working out our faith is walking in the joy of our salvation. 
The benefit of working out our faith is walking in the joy of our purpose. This, this journey is hard. And the only joy that we're going to get is walking out our purpose in Christ, being in his perfect will. And we cannot do that if we're hanging on to this stuff and if we're constantly down and disillusioned about the past and about past hurts and past things. Satan will use those things against you as long as you will allow him. Verse 15. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand, here's our word, why. But what a difficult task it is. The hardest question a pastor will ever be asked when somebody's in this season or in this moment, in this crisis, is why? Why do bad things happen to good Christian people? Now, I'm going to get slightly controversial. You ready? Don't throw rocks. I didn't, you know, just. The problem with the word of faith or hyper faith or prosperity gospel message is that it does not have an answer for this. The prosperity gospel cannot stand up to tragedy because it only embraces half of the true faith message. And I'm about to prove it to you from the word of God. Now listen, everybody looking, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not throwing rocks at any ministry, at any pastor. I'm not that stupid. Because I know they're, they're doing something and I know they're trying to do what they've been called to do and all those things. I'm just telling you, I can't fight it in the word of God. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but when we only embrace half of the faith message, we're setting ourselves up for a huge disappointment, which will ultimately lead to a weakened, incomplete faith. Because when tragedy comes, when the healing doesn't take place, when the child dies, when the divorce happens anyway. Our faith becomes shipwrecked because we have not been properly equipped to handle the most difficult storms of life. We start beating ourselves up and blaming ourselves, don't we? What could we have done different? What could I have done different? And that leads to anger. And then that leads to bitterness towards God. But here's the truth right here that will set us free. There are two sides of faith. There are two sides of faith. The one is very popular. It packs out the church house. It gets the biggest offering. It's the most exciting. It's real. It's victorious, it's wonderful, it's what we pray for, it's what we hope for. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm telling you, it's real. 
By faith, Abel brought, uh, brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he didn't experience death. By faith, Noah built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham received the promised inheritance. By faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children. By faith, Moses and the people of Israel walked across the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab was saved along with her family. And then in verse 32, it picks up, it says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. It's incredible. It's huge. It's epic. It's what we want. And it's real. And it's available. Immediate answers, immediate healing, immediate intervention, immediate relief, immediate comfort. How many have witnessed God do that? Come on, seriously, how many have seen that? But the other side of faith, while just as powerful, is often overlooked, especially in this culture. What I'm about to preach to you will not fill the auditorium. What I'm about to preach to you will not get the best offering. What I'm about to preach to you would get me canceled if I was on television. The other side of faith is also found in Hebrews 11, and it picks up right where the other Leaves off. Look at verse 35b. There were others. Say others. My God, you're going to have to get this. I know some of you are with me and some of you aren't, but I'm beginning to feel the Holy Spirit. It's about to change your life. If you'll hear me, this will answer. This will answer a lot of the questions. You've got to hear me right here. There were others who were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yes, the ones that, that lived and the ones who did epic things and wonderful things, but also the ones who died, the ones who won the battle and the the ones who had to run for their life. Do you understand? Who, when we do not acknowledge, look on the board, when we do not acknowledge the more difficult side of faith, we cheapen the work of Jesus on the cross and every martyr who died for him ever since. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, nobody came. He died. When these martyrs, these men and women were in the lions and in the arenas and killed for sport, Christians, whole families, they were not rescued. They died. When we forget about the other side of faith, we do so at our own spiritual risk. Because the more difficult side of faith, listen, my God, will sustain us when we have to go through the most difficult times of our life. 
when we are not spared from walking through a crisis, this more difficult side of faith will strengthen us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Walk through, not spared from. The miraculous side of faith says with Ezekiel, you will live and not die. The more difficult side of faith says with Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The first side of faith declares Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The other side of faith agrees with Habakkuk, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The glorious side of faith says my God is able to deliver me from death. The harder side of faith echoes Daniel chapter 3 where the Hebrew boys are standing up to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And then the next sentence is the most powerful, one of the most powerful sentences in all the Bible. He says, O king, listen to me. Listen, we We know that God is able to deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. Even if we have to be burned up alive in this flame, we know that God is real and we're going to trust him. The first sign of faith says with Paul, not a him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The more difficult side of faith cries out with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The one side of faith says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The other side of faith stands firm and says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. These two sides of faith are not mutually exclusive. They are not divided. They are not a contradiction. They are one. They are one. They are in perfect unity. We can't focus on one side and not the other. We can't preach about one side and not the other. We must have a whole faith, a complete faith. We have to trust God even when we can't even see a relief in sight. I came across a quote, and you're going to be surprised when you see who, who wrote it. I don't, know, I don't know this lady's relationship with Christ, but I'm telling you what, she nails this thing about faith. Listen to this. Faith is not about everything turning out okay. Faith is about being okay. No matter how things turn out. Reba McIntyre. Faith is not about everything turning out okay. That's what we hear so often from our pulpit. From the American culture, American Christianity, Western Christianity. It's all about Prosperity. It's all about everything being good. Faith is not about that. It's about being okay, even in the middle of the storm. Here's the big idea. I already said it. We work out this whole faith by studying and applying God's word to our life. 
folks, there is no easy way around this. Do you hear me? There's no, when you want to physically get stronger, there's no, <laughs> there's no way around getting in the gym or getting in your workout room and getting on the treadmill, or eating better. There's no way around, right? When you really want to work out, there's no way other to do than just work out. If you want a complete and whole faith, there's no way to do it other than by learning and applying the word of God to your life. Without the word, we have no foundation in this life. Nothing to stand on. And we end up incomplete in our faith. So how, in my closing, do we, we study the Bible? How can we do it? and make it applying it a routine in our life. I understand the pushback, folks. I've been in this a long time. I understand that it's not easy. I know the struggle is real. But here's an excuse I will not accept. I don't have time. Pastor, I just don't have time because I just got all this stuff. That's why I come to church, so that I can hear you give the word. Listen to me. We make time for what's important to us. You make time for that program, for that sporting event, for that trip, for that activity. We make time for what's important to us. Now, I know here's, here's, here's a, more, a better argument. The Bible is hard to understand. Yes, sometimes it is. I'll even accept the Bible sort of is in places is boring. Come on, we, we're real today, right? We're being honest. We're not, we're not trying to, oh, no, every word. No, I know. Listen, I know it's, it's all God breathed, but not all of it's easy. That's why today, and I've got to hurry, I'm going to give you a balanced approach real quickly at the end here that hopefully for the first time may get you excited about this. If you're not in a Bible study plan, listen, that you're doing every day, every day, listen to me. I'm going to give you some things that I want you to do. Everybody say do. Number one, buy or download the one-year Bible by Tyndale House Publishing, the New Living Translation. I'm giving you all the info here. You have no excuses. Buy or download the one-year Bible you can also get the YouVersion app on your phone. And this plan, this one-year plan is in there. Now, here's why I promote this plan. Just by what I said. You, you start in Genesis. If you do this, if you just start in Genesis. You say, hey, bless God, just start in Genesis and start reading. Well, Genesis is fine. And then Exodus is exciting. And then what happens? The law. And you get bogged down and then you quit and then you beat yourself up over it. It's just ugly, it's awful, it's terrible. I'm being real. This plan gives you an Old Testament reading that you can handle each and every day and then a New Testament reading. And then it gives you a Psalm and a Proverb every day. And of course, if you do it every single day for a year, you read it through. That's not the point. Life happens, the kids get sick or whatever, you miss a day, you have to pick back up the next day. Don't beat yourself up over it. Don't go, well, I'll just start on the next. No, you don't. You just keep, keep going where you left off. It's not about checking a box. 
It's about developing a complete and whole faith and applying what you read. So you do that, number one. Number two, set aside, listen, and guard. Everybody say guard. Guard the same time and the same place every day. I don't care if you have to kick the kids out. I don't care if you have to do whatever, get up 30 minutes earlier. Guard the same time and place. every. If you do it at lunch one day, and then you do it early in the morning one day, and then you do it before you go to bed, you're never going to stay with it. It has to be the same time and the same place because that place is going to become sacred. It's going to become special. And as you do it, the more you do it, the more you meet with the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to look forward to it. Number three, this is a suggestion. Keep a journal for questions, notes, prayers, life stories. It's very therapeutic, by the way, to write these things. And then I didn't put it up here, but always pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart as you read. I've got to quit. I'm sorry. Look look at me real quick. I challenge you as your pastor, try this for one month see what difference working out your faith with the word of God will do. Remember Asaph? We kind of left him hanging there, didn't we? Let's see how this worked out. His crisis of faith ended. Verse 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant I must have seemed like I was a senseless animal. Yet I still belong to you. Aren't you thankful that even when we struggle, that even in those moments where we're disillusioned and we're wondering why and all these things, aren't you thankful that we are still God's, that we are still in his hand, that he's, we're on the monkey bars and he's, come on. You guide me with your counsel. What's the counsel? The word leading me to a glorious destiny, a purpose. Who am I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Here's the the deal. Here's where he comes to it. Here is our point. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Asaph. In the Old Testament, before Jesus discovered the two sides of faith, And it saved him. It helped him. It sustained him. 